0: everybody, and welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. Now, a couple weeks ago, I got back from the Maven immersive experience to Utah, and I'm excited to tell you about it. Now, I wanted to tell you sooner, but I came down with a case of tonsillitis. I'm still a little bit recovering, but now I finally have my voice back. And so uh, we are going to be talking about that awesome trip where we uh, took some students from South Dakota to Salt Lake City, ministered to Mormons for about six days, uh, Study Christian theology and doctrine and had an amazing time with those students. And so I'm going to talk about some of the conversations that I had while in Salt Lake City and how you can uh, go about having some conversations yourself. Now, before we get there, I have some fun and exciting interviews to tell you about. First of all, last week I recorded a two-part interview with Melissa Kane Travis. She just put out a new book called Science and the Mind of the Maker, a great introductory book on science showing how cosmology biology and DNA and mathematics and all of those different areas in the sciences point to the existence of a maker, the maker thesis, what she calls that. And so uh, we had a fun time discussing all of that. We also talked about her role at Houston Baptist University as a woman in apologetics, as well as a mom uh, doing apologetics to children in the children's books that she has written. And so uh, I had a fun hour-long conversation with her. And so those shows are actually going to be out uh, over the next two weeks. So you can expect to see those the following uh, Wednesdays or Saturdays if you're listening on 100.1 KGBA. One cool thing that I did in recording the shows is I live streamed the recording. Now, this is the second time that I've done this. Uh, I set up a camera where you can see me uh, in my little studio that I have here recording the show, uh, but then you can hear the audio from the other side. And that actually allows you to ask questions. If you have Facebook, uh, you can ask questions during the interview and interact. And and a couple questions did come in during the interview. So that was a lot of fun. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if that's something that you enjoy, uh, you can go to Facebook, type in "Coffee House Questions, uh, and like the page. And then you can see when future interviews are going to be coming up. And that's the next exciting thing I want to tell you about, is that the next live recording that I'm going to be doing is going to be on September 5th at about 4.45 in the afternoon with Dr. Hugh Ross. Ross, the astrophysicist and the founder of Reasons to Believe. He has a new book coming out on September 4th called Always Be Ready, and it's different than any other book that he's written before, and so I'm excited for that. I I love having the Reasons to Believe scholars on the show. Uh, If you remember back, I had Krista Bontrager not too long ago discussing death before the fall, global or local flood. I've had Dr. Jeff Swirink, astrophysicist, talking about the Big Bang and evangelism, as well as science and faith, and then also Ken Samples talking about logic and critical thinking. And so I've had three different people from reasons to believe on the show, uh, in the past. And now I'm excited to have the director, Dr. Hugh Ross uh, and the founder, uh, on the show talking about his new book. And so that is an exciting interview, uh, that has been scheduled and that you can participate in and ask those questions. And I and you can start to send in your questions, uh, through email at contact at coffeehousequestions.com for the interview. Uh, Before the interview takes place, I will be posting things on Instagram to where you can follow it, Instagram at ryanpolly 3 there, uh, Snapchat or on Twitter, and send in your questions for Dr. Ross as well. So there's going to be some great ways for you to interact with that interview in the future. Now, I finally finished off my busy summer of speaking and trips and that trip that we're going to be talking about here in this show. Uh, And school has begun. I'm back at training, getting ready for students to show up next week, which is fun to get back into the swing of things. But do know uh, that I do travel during the school year. And so if you want me to come speak to your youth group, if it's local on a weeknight or I can even travel uh, out of the state on weekends, uh, go to coffeehousequestions.com. Contact me. Look at those different topics that I have. And I would love to come out and see if I can make it to your church or youth group sometime this fall or spring. All right, well, let's jump into our topic today of the Maven Immersive Experience to Utah. Now, my voice is already getting a little bit scratchy, scratchy. so hopefully uh, I'm clear and we can make it through this. So my job with Maven is I am a field guide. What that means is I take teams to Salt Lake City. That's the first location that I've been to and, and help guide them on their trip as they put their studies of Christian theology and Mormonism to the test. And so the students that I took were a group of students from Salt Lake uh, from South Dakota, and they had spent two months studying Mormonism and Christian theology. And then I met them in Salt Lake City, and we traveled throughout the state a little bit, right, around the Salt Lake City area. We went to Temple Square in Salt Lake City. We went all the way down to BYU and Provo and different places uh, in between, visiting different ministries, learning from different scholars, as well as talking and having lots of conversations with Mormons. And the goal of this trip Is really to help these students, help the high school students understand Christian doctrine, understand the person of Jesus, be able to explain who Jesus is and realize that when someone slightly changes Jesus, it changes everything and be able to have those conversations, be able to notice those differences, because oftentimes when we're having a gospel conversation, uh, we don't realize when someone has changed some definitions or we don't realize when someone is talking about something a little bit different than what we think. And so this is an incredible trip. That helps students see how they slightly change Jesus, use the same vocabulary, change definitions, and how they can ask the right questions, maneuver in that conversation, and share the gospel. And I tell you what, uh, this is the second time I've been on a Utah trip, and there's nothing like it. These students, by the end of the week, they don't want to stop. Oftentimes, they say, I want to keep going. I want to keep having these conversations. In fact, they go back to their hometown. They call the missionaries over. They continue talking with the missionaries, and it's so so cool how they just continue sharing the gospel they found this love of talking about who Jesus is and it's just so exciting and so that's the trip that I just went on another trip that Maven offers is the Berkeley trip and that one is is focusing more on science and philosophy and apologetics and then we go up to UC Berkeley and we talk to atheists and people of different world religions and help them try to understand the truth of who Jesus is. And so it's just such a cool, incredible experience. Like, you know, if you are interested, check that out, maventruth.com. You can also contact me at, at coffeehousequestions.com uh, and we can try to schedule one of those trips or at least get you some more information. And so I just got back um, on August 4th from this trip with these students and we were there for six days. And we learned, as I mentioned, from some of the scholars, from some of the best. Uh, we went to Sandra Tanner, who is ex Mormon uh, and actually is the great-granddaughter of Brigham Young. She has an awesome ministry there, helping people understand the differences, trying to bring people out of the LDS faith. We also heard from Rob Savoca, has a ministry uh, there doing evangelism. We talked about him when we mentioned the book Sharing the Good News with Mormons that Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell put out, and as well as Eric Johnson's colleague, Bill McKeever from the Mormonism Research Ministry, came and talked to us as well. Uh, And so we had some great training sessions with them. But I personally had about four different times where I could have conversations with Mormons. And this is what I want to talk to you guys about uh, in the last bit, uh, in the time that we have today. Uh, Because after the trip and and asking uh, on Instagram what you guys wanted to hear about, Jimmy wrote in and says, you know, what is my advice on how to have those conversations? More specifically, what is my number one advice or tip for witnessing to LDS people? Now, sorry if I'm speaking a little bit fast. I think I'm trying to get through this quickly because my throat is scratchy and a little bit painful. Uh, But I realize now that the more the faster I talk, uh, I'm not going to get through it quicker. It's still going to be 30 minutes. So uh, what is my advice? Well, it's going to change depending on where you're at, what the situation is, how much time you really have. Uh, Oftentimes, you can just ask a super quick question. If you have time to really dig deep, uh, you can do that as well. And so it's really going to change. And so hopefully here, um, I had about three different kinds of conversations. Uh, at least lengthwise. And I want to tell you about those here. And so one of the stops that we do on the immersive experience to Utah is that we go to Temple Square. Now, Temple Square is where the Salt Lake City Temple is. And it's not just the temple. There are visitor centers. Uh, Brigham Young's house is there. And there's tons of things to do and tours to go on. And so that's what, how we spend one of our days or a couple, like two days, about a day and a half, is that we go on the Temple Square tour. We go on a tour of Brigham Young's house. We go to the business center and up to the, the 32nd floor where there's an observation deck. You can look over the whole city. Uh, You can do a tour of the conference center as well as we watch movies in the visitor center. And the reason we do this is we want to uh, hear from the missionaries and the tour guides, what do they believe? Why do they believe it? We want to watch their movies to get this better understanding of what it is that they believe. At the same time, it gives us some chance to ask questions. Now we have to be a little bit careful at Temple Square uh, because they will kick you off. And so if you uh, bring out materials or you try to hand anything out, or if you're asking too many questions, they may ask you to leave. And so you kind of have to walk a fine line, Uh, but it doesn't mean that you have to just sit there quietly. Because one really cool thing is that as you, or asking questions, other people are on your tour that are probably visitors oftentimes not Mormon uh, that uh, are listening because they're just kind of listening from the missionary. And by you asking a question, you can kind of put some thoughts in their minds. And so one uh, cool thing is we were on the Temple Square tour. And at the end, our tour guide said, hey, at the uh, at the end, if you have any questions, uh, come on up and we will answer some questions for you. Now, they had just gotten done talking about how they do baptism for the dead inside the temple. Now, you can't look in the temple as a non-Mormon, uh, but they tell you a couple things that go in inside. And so they're telling us about being baptized for the dead. And so one thing I did is I asked, I raised my hand. I said, okay, uh, why do you get baptized for the dead? And they gave me a long explanation, but one of the facts was uh, we believe that everyone has a second chance. And so God is extremely loving. He wants all people to be saved. There are some people that could never hear about him or Jesus on this life. And so after their death, they go into kind of a, a waiting spirit world where then we as living humans, or I guess I shouldn't say we because I can't, but we uh, Mormons who have a temple recommendation can go in the temple, be baptized for that person, and then give them a chance to be saved and accept that baptism. And so it's a second chance. So I raised my hand again, or I talked to this girl again, I said, okay, let me ask you a question. I said, I study world religions. And that's why I'm here and I'm studying the LDS faith. I want to be honest. I want to be open. I want her to know uh, that I'm not trying to hide anything. And I said, look, many religions talk about second chances. Uh, and I think that's one thing that's very unique about Christianity. Is it says, no, there isn't a second chance. Uh, the, the decisions that you make in this life matter because there isn't another chance. You have to make wise decisions now. And so let me ask you a question. If I have a second chance, if I reject Mormonism and and I don't want anything to do with it because I know that at death I will get a second chance if it's true, and then I can just accept it in my second life, what reason would I have for accepting Mormonism now, for going through all the temple rituals, for for trying to maintain this perfection uh, that is required? Why would I go through all that now if it's true I can just die and accept it in my second life? And her answer was, well, because by accepting Mormonism now, you will have a happier life. And that's all that she really told me is that I might just be happier. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't take away from the fact that I'm a very, very happy person now, or there are even some very bad people that are very happy but her reason, not was that this is what God calls us to or because we are to honor God or nothing of that sort, was the only reason I should become LDS now rather than in my second life is just because it makes me happier or it would make me happier according to her. I thought that was a very interesting response. Again, just asking some simple questions. Now, then she asked me a question and she said, oh, okay, you study world religions. I have a question for you. I said, yeah, for sure. What's up? she said, I've always wondered about the birth of Jesus, the nativity. And she started asking me about a little bit of the birth. And so we went into it. And really what she was getting at is she wanted some historical evidence for the New Testament. And so we started going into some of the manuscript evidence. I started talking about how, you know, in the book of Luke and Acts uh, combined, you know, we have over like a hundred historically confirmed uh, details. Um, Luke names, names of people, locations, and islands without air. Uh, it's incredibly accurate. It's written early. The, you know, We have early copies. It's written during the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. We kind of went over a lot of this and she was blown away. She had never heard any of this stuff. She's kept on saying, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that. And again, without being super in your face, Uh, And saying, the Book of Mormon is nothing like this. I said, there's no other religious book out there like this. There's no other religious book that has the credibility, the earliness, the eyewitness testimony, and the corroboration of archaeological evidence as the New Testament, as the Bible has. It's just, it's not out there. That's what makes the Bible so unique and why you should trust the Bible only. And so I had the chance a little bit of trying to make that case for her and, and, and saying, look, the Book of Mormon doesn't compete. There isn't this archaeological evidence. There isn't this corroboration. We haven't found the people or the places and these sort of things. In fact, there's a lot of evidence against it. And so this is one tactic I used at Temple Square where you can't get deep into a lot. They're very quick. You can't ask too many questions or else you get called on. And so, hey, just, hey, you're going to talk about baptism for the dead. Let me ask you why you do that. Uh, you're going to talk about, um, you know, the reliability or something, or maybe ask me questions. Uh, I'll give you a short response. Another t- tour we went on was uh, Brigham Young's house. And so uh, they were talking about one of his, uh, his wife slept here. And I said, which wife? Uh turns out he had 56 wives, 54 children, and he had uh, children with 16 of them. Now, they tried to justify his polygamy in saying that it was necessary as the uh, Mormons were traveling across the plains over to Salt Lake City because the men were dying and there are all these women without husbands. And so really what he was doing was taking care of these women, which sounds wonderful. The only question, and I didn't ask this one because it was a little bit too bold for me, but okay, if he's just taking care of these women, which is good, why did he have children with 16 of them? It uh, doesn't seem like you need to have children with 16 of them to simply just take care of them because their husbands have passed away. It's more than purely economic uh, reasons that are going on here. Plus, that also doesn't justify Joseph Smith and his polygamy before they traveled across the country. And so uh, those are some questions that you just kind of listened for things that they say, and you can ask them for, uh, some questions in return. Now, the second type of conversations we have is we go to BYU, and at BYU, it's really cool. Brigham Young University, Mormon University, uh, we walk on a campus, and we are allowed there. The visitors are allowed. Uh, It's a little bit more open in the sense that you can bring out your Book of Mormons. uh, You can bring out your Bible. You can read through scripture. Uh, You still can't hand them information, Uh, but you uh, walk into the cafeteria. We buy lunches in small groups, and then you walk up to a table uh, with a student or students sitting there, and you'd simply say, hey, where are some students from? this group, South Dakota. And we are here studying the LDS faith. Can we sit down and ask you some questions? And uh, I don't think in this trip we had anyone say no. Everyone was very welcome to have us sit down and talk with them. Now, some conversations lasted 20 minutes. My conversation lasted about two and a half hours. So this is where you can really get into a lot of depth. And so I want to tell you a little bit about this conversation that I had. And to do it, uh, I think you have to have a, an understanding of Mormon view of salvation. Now, this is something that I don't think most Christians understand and something that can trip you up. So when you talk about salvation with a Mormon, uh, if you simply just say salvation, they're going to agree with you. If you say that uh, through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, you can be saved, they will agree with you. Salvation gives you immortality. You live in heaven and you're in the presence of Jesus. They agree with you. Right. This sounds good. However, it's different because their view of salvation is only the presence of Jesus, not God, the father. And it's only heaven. It's not exaltation. And they have a different view, obviously, of this. They have the three levels of heaven. So when they talk about eternal life, that's different. Right? We would say, yeah, salvation, eternal life, it's the same thing. They have eternal life and salvation being different. So they have general salvation for everyone. Eternal life is exaltation. And this, you have to go through the temple rites. You have to go through all the requirements. You have to fulfill all that you're supposed to do. You have to be uh, married in the temple. You have to go through baptized in the temple. You have to do washing and anointing. You have to do the endowment uh, in the temple. And then you can receive exaltation where you'll be in the presence of Heavenly Father and with your family forever. And this is exaltation or eternal life. And so they have these two different steps, right? So this is a different view of heaven than Christianity. Now, um, this is how I I think it's important when you have more time. This is how I get into conversations because I want to get into conversations focused around the gospel. The gospel is going to change and this view of heaven is going to change uh, or the view of heaven is different, And their gospel is different as well, and it gets you to different places. So in my first conversation at BYU, um, I don't remember exactly how it started, but at one point we got to this idea of eternal life. And so I asked the guy, I said, are you confident of your salvation? I think this is something that's interesting, uh, an interesting question, because as Christians, we can be confident. 1 John 5:13 says I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This knowledge of our eternal life does brings such a weight off of our shoulders. To know, look, I don't have to do it. I can't do it. Jesus has already done it for me. Salvation is secure in him. Oh my goodness, what a relief. And this is something the Mormon can't have is that confidence. So I asked him, and I think this is one tactic that can be used. And I said, are you confident of your salvation? And he goes, well, yes and no. And he said, yes, I am confident I will be saved. Everyone gets saved. Everyone goes to heaven. Everyone through the atoning work of Jesus goes uh, to be with Jesus. And I I said, what about the no? And he said, no, because I'm not confident that I will receive exaltation, that I will have eternal life, that I will spend eternity with the Father. And there's a reason for this. General salvation, as I mentioned, yes, they all get that. They can have confidence in that. But exaltation, you can't have confidence. Why not? Let me read you why. In second Nephi 25, verse 23, it says, "For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and be reconciled to God, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all that we can do." Now, if you heard the interview with Eric Johnson, he brought this up a couple times. But notice that is "For by grace that we are saved, after all that we can do." well, what is it that you can do? I talked talk to one Mormon. He said, well, all I can do is just put my trust in Jesus. And so therefore grace is sufficient. Well, that's not true. First Nephi 3, 7 says, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord hath, the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he hath, which he commandeth them. So here's what this is saying in first Nephi it says, look, God has only commands things for you to do that you can do. He doesn't give you anything you can't do. And so all of God commands are things you can do. And so when it talks about you have to do all that you can do before grace is sufficient, well, that means you have to keep all the commands, all the things that God has commanded you. And so for them to say, look, uh, many times in the conversations, yeah, I, I can't do it all. Well, then you can't be saved. You can't. It's impossible. That's why this is impossible gospel in Mormonism. And so this is one thing I brought up and I said, do you want this confidence? Is this something you want? And he said, yeah, this is something that the Mormon church could get better at is preaching this confidence. And I said, I'm sorry, but it can't. I said, the only way it could get better is it has to change the very starting point. If Jesus is someone that only saves you after you've done everything, then you will never have the confidence, no matter how much you try to preach it. But if you change the very starting point of who Jesus is, that Jesus has done it all, and it's not on you. You ask for forgiveness. You put your trust in him, and he's done it. Then you can have the confidence. The person of Jesus has to change for you. And that was one of the thoughts that I left him with in this confidence. Now, another thing I thought was interesting in this conversation, we talked about the testimony. A lot of the conversation comes around the Mormon testimony. And I said, I kept trying to get at, how does he know that his testimony is true? I, I believe something different. Uh, I believe that Joseph Smith is a false prophet. The Book of Mormon is not the word of God. Uh, and I believe it very strongly. And I feel that it's true. Is that true? And of course not. And so I asked him, I said, what would it take for you to be convinced that Mormonism is false? And he didn't really know. And I said, okay, your knowledge right now, your, your faith right now is, is based on what you feel like God has told you. So what if you heard an audible voice where God said hello, Mormonism is false. Joseph is a small false prophet. Uh, The Book of Mormon is not my word. Would you believe then? Would you leave Mormonism then? And he said, no. I said, why not? He goes, well, that would be an anomaly uh, because my entire life, everything I know points to the truth of Mormonism. Now this one thing would go against it. And because it's an anomaly, it doesn't make sense. I probably wouldn't believe it. And I said, okay, now apply that same thing to me. When the Mormons talk to me, I have my entire life experience pointing to the fact that Mormonism is false. And they say, okay, when Mormonism come to my house, you need to read the Book of Mormon, pray about it, and you'll have a feeling that it's true. So when I have that feeling, that's now going to be an anomaly. So are you saying that I could dismiss that anomaly as being false simply because it goes against the experience of my entire life? And he sat there and he went, ah, that makes sense. I get it now. I would, and he goes, for you, I would say, no, that's, that's truth breaking through for the first time, right? He goes, that, that, that's, that's not just a, a, anomalies don't make it false. I said, yeah, exactly. You would say that that would be truth breaking through for the first time for me, that my entire life experience would be wrong and truth is finally breaking through. I said, so then it can also be true of you, that your entire life experience could be wrong and that that anomaly could finally be truth breaking through for the first time. And he admitted that, yes, he goes, yeah, so I, w- it would probably take a long time. He goes, I have spent my life doing this. And so it'd probably take a lot of study years uh, to come out of it. And I said, absolutely. I completely agree. That's one thing we have to recognize is that I think it takes the average Mormon around four years. Once they start questioning Mormonism to leave, because again, they've devoted their entire lives to this. It's a big decision. And so I thought that was a very interesting conversation as well, having with this student. Now, when I went door to door, another thing that we did is we go knock on their doors. So we would go south of BYU campus and we knock on the doors of the students and say, hey, we're Christian missionaries. Can we talk to you? And have a, those couple conversations. Now in these, I had about 30 minutes in one, 15 minutes in another. And my goal in these conversations were to, was to try to get them to see uh, that it's a different gospel. I just wanted to walk away and having them know this is different. And so what I did is I tried to help point them to those scriptures that I just read, where the gospel of Mormonism is that you're saved by grace after all that you can do. You have to do all things because God has commanded you to do them, and he would not command you to do it if you couldn't do it. And so by you not doing it means you're not trying hard enough, and so you don't earn your salvation. And then I look back into Genesis. Where Abraham, the covenant of Abraham and God, where uh, he cuts the animals in half, and they're supposed to meet in the middle to make this covenant. Instead, Abraham falls asleep. God walks through. And it's repeated again in the New Testament. Actually, let me go back. So the first story is in uh, Genesis 15, where God makes a covenant of uh, with Abraham. And then it's repeated in the New Testament, Romans chapter 4. And in the beginning of Romans chapter four, it says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, or for our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him in right, as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Right. This is not a gift of salvation if you work for it, but that's just what you're due. In Mormonism, you have to work for it. You have to go through the temple rituals. You have to do all the things. It's not a gift of salvation. It's what's due to you. But for us, it is a gift. You jump down to the end of Romans. It talks about, again, that his faith was counted to him as righteousness in the beginning of chapter five. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in those conversations, my goal was to go through the story of Abraham. And so what I did is said, hey, what's, what's, um, what's the best thing about Mormonism to you? And actually, that question caught him very off guard. And they would say, you know, spending eternity with my heavenly father. Or they would tell me about the best thing. And I say, can I share what I think the best thing about Christianity is? And they go, yeah. And this is a very awesome way to have that conversation. A good tactic is say, you ask them, hey, what, what do you think the best thing is? Now, can I share with you the best thing I think about Christianity? And I share about the confidence that we can have in our salvation. And then after that, I say, can I share a story from the life of Abraham that goes along with this confidence? And they go, yeah, sure. And I start in Genesis, lead to Romans, and try to help them see, look, this is a different gospel. Because I want to disconnect this. Many Mormons, when they leave Mormonism, they go to atheism or agnosticism because the Mormon church ties in Christianity so closely that if they reject one, the other one, then Christianity gets thrown out too. And so my goal is to help them see this is a different gospel gospel. We're talking about two different things. You can reject Mormonism. Christianity can still be true. Now in our last like 10 seconds, I have the fourth place that we go. We go back to Temple Square where we do street evangelism. Here we just hand out a survey. Can I give you a Jesus survey? And pretty much what it is, is did Jesus teach these five things? And they're five things that the Mormon church says he did, but then you look at scripture and see that it really, he didn't. And so these are some great ways uh, in different amounts of time that you can ask those questions. So we are out of time. That went faster than I thought. I made it through with my scratchy voice. Uh, If you have more questions on any of these conversations, these topics, or about the Maven Immersive Experience, please write me. Let me know. Send those in. I would love to maybe even take another show and and go deeper into some of these conversations that I had or even some of the topics that I briefly brought up. I know some of them were a little bit shorter. so. You know all the places to contact me. You can send those in. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to listen next week with my interview with Melissa Payne Travis and be checking in September 5th, the interview with Dr. Hugh Ross. Thank you so much. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffee House Questions with Brian Pauli. just as you leave, Won't hesitate to follow. Your love will guide my way.